Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is a true Renaissance man, author David Parker. He's written two books and is hard at work on a third, following a career in education spanning more than 40 years as a music teacher in San Francisco's public schools. David has also achieved success as one of the city's leading real estate investors and leads the Dave Parker Sextet, which has twice headlined San Francisco's prestigious Fillmore Jazz Festival. He's here today to talk about his second book, A San Francisco Conservative. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. David, you're a lifelong resident of San Francisco and a conservative. And with life being so hyper-politicized these days, I can't help picturing like Charlton Heston in Omega Man holed up in his apartment <laughs> complex while the rest of the world is outside trying to break in there and drag him out. Is it that bad or do you have some reasonable friends and family in that progressive stronghold? It's that bad. <laughs> I, I'm. It's sad. I've lost some family members and I've lost lifelong friends. And they realized, wait a second, you're not the the progressive we thought, we just assumed you were. And I'm from San Francisco, so already that's qualified. I'm not socially conservative. And politically, I'm very liberal. No one should be denied the vote for any reason, property or social status. And economically, I'm conservative. We should spend within our, our budget. That's all. And that the founding fathers got it right. That's my big theme, that we're looking for all kinds of answers. They read the Federalist Papers and read the Constitution. It's really well worked out. It's funny how it seems like progressives just assume that their worldview is the truth. Any good and decent person is going to agree with them on everything. And everyone who isn't is, you know, to use an overused phrase, a deplorable I, I, there's a little bit of that on on all sides of the political spectrum, but do you feel like there's more tolerance among conservatives for progressives? I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. You know, this nation is 
is being influenced by people on the far left and on the far right, when in fact the nation is mostly moderate. So you wouldn't know by watching the news or even listening to some conversations because people are not prepared to talk even. They're just saying anything. And our voting districts are so gerrymandered that a Democrat is only running against Democrats and a Republican is only running against Republicans. And the most extreme is the one who wins. So that's why we have this vicious split when in fact the nation is not that far apart. You talk about some important thinkers from history in this latest book, including John Locke, probably my all-time favorite. I know he was Thomas Jefferson's all-time favorite. And even going all the way back to Aristotle, why are these long-dead people important today? Fifth-century Athens and first-century Rome and perhaps 18th-century Age of Enlightenment in America, Britain, Scotland, and France are three of the highest moments in the human history. Not the only highest moments, but they are among the highest moments. The level of conversation and discussion is so much higher. And if you read Aristotle, you'll practically drop the book. Who is this person? When did he live? He talks like us, and the issues are us, only on such a much higher level. I can't get enough of it. So, yes, those are three great periods, and we should learn from them and review them, and that'll solve a lot, maybe even solve some of our problems. And one of the things that really has puzzled me is not how America got to where it is today, but how it ever got to where it was in the late 18th and 19th centuries. What do you think led to such a free country when most of the rest of the world has always lived under tyranny and especially such an economically free country? What do you see as the roots of it? You almost answered it by stating it. The world, Europe, which is a always been an aristocratic, dictatorial continent. People were gradually working their way west. Amsterdam became a pretty free city, and, and England in general became free. You jumped the channel, and there was a sigh of relief. And after a while, people realized this wasn't enough. And people who really wanted that freedom, who were willing to leave their country and their family and their friends... They came to America, and they're still coming to America. That's who we are, people who have abandoned everything for a better opportunity for them and for their family and for some freedom. Even the freedom, they don't even know about when they come. They're coming here for an opportunity, and then they realize it's because the freedom is here that it's there. So we've attracted people like that. And so it's like as if God says, U.S., 18th century, I'm giving it to you. You're going to be the, we're going to set the world for the next 500 years. Yeah, and I, one line jumped out at me from your book, and you say, America today is like the rest of the world. It fears economic freedom. It fears living without government. So as those people came here, running away from big government, and I should add, and I think I've mentioned this in a previous podcast or one of my blogs, you know, Bismarck came up with his government health care program in 1882 or three. And that turned out to be the decade the most Germans who've ever emigrated to the United States left Germany and came to America. So that's right in keeping with what you're saying here. They're running from big government. Well, 
how did we get to where we are today? Where did we lose that idea? You hit it again. Bismarck is the origins of the corporate state. He says, let's give the citizens everything they want, health care and pension and cultural access and unemployment insurance and high wages, everything. And citizens will give the government one thing, their freedom. And to a certain extent, okay, Bismarck might be kind of a, a turning point, but it wasn't the ethos of the country to run away from that kind of thing even before him? No, no. I'm not so sure that the Germans have a tendency to follow and obey orders, to, to be honest. Bismarck designed what is called today the corporate state. He says, all right, these 10 companies, Hitler and Mussolini really took that further. But these 10 companies are going to run the country. And uh, in, we're going to give you a monopoly. And in exchange, you're going to raise your wages so high because you have no competition. You're going to provide the people, as I said, health care and pension and education. And then you're going to do what we say. That's how, that's called national socialism. That's pure Bismarck and it's pure 1930s. Hitler and Mussolini and our President Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. He was in correspondence with Mussolini. They loved each other. And the, even the Nazi newspapers were writing Roosevelt and says, U.S. finally understands fascism. It's the group. It's not the individual that counts. And we made that turn in 1933. And not, I'm not sure we can go back. And my message is to go back to the founding fathers. They got it right in 1933. We got it wrong. And now we can't get out of it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you're speaking the language of Tom Mullen talks freedom, because if this was a church, then Franklin <laughs> Delano Roosevelt would be the devil. I've written quite a bit about him myself. Some people tell me, why are you so obsessed with this guy? He's been dead, you know, almost 80 years. And I, I agree with you. I think that is the turning point, the New Deal. There were problems before that, the income tax and the Federal Reserve. But the New Deal really did establish exactly what you said. Also, another thing that people, I think, sometimes confuse when Mussolini said the word corporation or corporate, he meant exactly what you just said, taking all the businesses in an industry and forming them into one entity, one cartel, taking its orders from the government. He wasn't talking about individual corporations like Disney or Pepsi. Right. So what, I mean, how far will you go with this? I, I've often said abolish the New Deal root and branch. Too far or you're... No, I, that's what I'm saying. It's correct. Let's take a short break for this important message. Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. 
Visit expressvpn.com slash Mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. And the middle class needs to know that they're paying for everything. We should middle class should have the taxes raised to fifty to seventy percent. Then they'll get the message because we're borrowing to pay for it now. The rich aren't paying, and the poor aren't paying, and that should be made clear. And that's one reason I'm I'm writing my book is books are rich in material with and historical examples, and. The middle class should know that they're they're paying for everything, and with no nothing to show. The war on poverty, nineteen sixty four, poverty was fifteen percent. We're fighting a war in Vietnam with a budget deficit, and Lyndon Johnson says it was unconscionable. A nation as rich as America should have a fifteen percent poverty rate. I hereby declare a war on poverty. We're going to end it once and for all. The needle hasn't budged on average from then. From 1958 to now, it's still 15% on average, at a cost of 23 trillion, three times more than all wars, including World War II, that this nation ever fought, and nothing to show. We've become a, a dependent nation as opposed to a, a responsible nation, which is the key to our earlier success, individual responsibility of Americans. Yeah, and it's funny that, you know, when you start talking about the market, economic freedom, there's almost this knee-jerk reaction. What about the poor? And on one hand, of course, you know, nothing has ever raised people out of poverty other than relatively free markets. But one of the things you say in the book that also hit home with me, because I've been to Panama and I've been to some other poor countries, is that um, we don't really have poor people in America, do we? Correct. We're talking absolute poverty versus relative poverty. In this nation, the poor, this 5% in America, live better than 95% of the rest of the world. That figure should be, get, should be put out there. The poorest person in the world gets up in the morning, has hot and cold running water, quality sewage treatment, high quality public transportation, schools right around the corner used to be among the best in the nation, everything. Yeah, and and I think that it, it would do people some good to actually travel to some of the countries and, and even you know some of the ones that they think of as a little more socialist. I spent a lot of time in Germany in the 2000s. And, you know, of course, they're a, a first world industrial nation and you would find many things to be like the United States, but... There were a lot of things missing. There were a lot of things. One of the things that hit me was how many stores were closed after seven o'clock and how many things you couldn't get 24 seven, like you can get here and how much longer you waited at for lunch because they were paying their waiters $30,000 a, a year instead of letting them make more on tips, you know, which, you know, the waiters at the best restaurants do here. So uh, it's a great way to look at it. Loot poverty versus relative poverty. 
you know, getting back to the, to the San Francisco theme, you know, when, when you think of San Francisco and I haven't been there in a long time, but in the last several years, the first thing you think of is the homeless problem. Why is it so much worse in San Francisco than even in other democratic cities? And, and what can be done about it? Only one thing can be done about that problem is to enforce the law. You can't come to San Francisco, lie down in the street and die. And, and with no one saying anything about it, you just fall down on somebody's doorstep, defecate and wait to die. <clears throat> and I don't like collective solutions. I'm not a socialist in that, in that sense at all. But the, in the 30s and the 40s, hobos had some honor, I guess. They moved to the outskirts of town. They didn't come to the middle of the town and lie down and, and start roasting their hot dogs. They went to the outskirts of town. So why can't we have military bases or factories <clears throat> that are not being used and people can have to go there? They have to move. And if they don't move, then we'll put them there. But if they, if they do move, they move. You have to enforce the law. And it's not being enforced. And Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, was almost recalled for exactly that. He ran for office saying, I will solve that problem and hasn't done one thing to solve the problem. And as you said, in, in earlier times, if you watch a black and white movie, you'll see, you know, the, the hobos roasting the hot dogs out at a campfire somewhere. Is that, is, is the problem bigger than it was back then? And is there something substantively about the community of people we refer to as, as the homeless from, let's say the 1930s hobo? Probably the homeless from what I see and what I hear, have mental problems. And the homeless in the 30s and 40s didn't really have mental problems. They hop on the rails, they knew what they were doing. And the homeless can't, they really can't take care of themselves. And why is a whole generation of that of those kind of people all of a sudden alive and well? Or not well, but alive. Maybe that 1933 on, We've created a, a nation of dependent people who are not taught, not raised well by their family to be, to be independent, to solve problems when they come up. Something comes up, they, they find an excuse. We're a nation of excuses today in, in one, on one level. So we allow people to, to live that way and we don't do anything about it either. Both sides are dropping the ball. Yeah, and, and especially in the in my lifetime, there's, there's been a rather robust welfare state, safety nets, housing, it's all available there. So it really is now a choice to be homeless and a choice made by somebody who's not making rational decisions. Would you agree with that? Right. That's, it is a problem. Many of these people cannot think clearly. And also when you're on the street for a while, you begin to lose your ability to think it's compounded. So we, they have to move on. They go to the outskirts of town or they go to housing voluntarily or by force. That's my solution. There's no other solution that I can see. I've heard some conservatives say that one of the things contributing to this problem and speaking directly to the mentally ill versus just kind of rebellious old hobo or, or slacker, whatever he was, that closing the state mental institutions was a mistake and that that would be where these people would be rather 
than on the streets, correct or no? Well, I've heard that argument and I probably some truth to it, but if there was more truth to it, we would, we're looking so hard to find a solution. We would have come back to that. If that's the solution, let's do it then. Put them in the institutions. But that's called rounding people up. And I'm very against rounding people up. I'm very against collective solutions to societal problems when most problems are personal. All problems are personal, practically. But that, if that works, then let's do it. So getting back to the economic question, if if we got rid of the New Deal so we don't have this army of executive branch bureaucrats writing their own rules and regulating everything, supposedly making the food safe, what would make the food safe and what would keep keep the trains from going off the rails and all the other horrible things that people imagine would happen without federal regulators? Well, you just said it. Take the federal off and replace that with market. This nation existed and did well as a free economy. The market is perfectly capable of self-correcting, of self-regulating. If you, uh, the medical the AMA regulates doctors, there's a UL, uh, the underwriting laboratories. If you want to buy a lamp, you go to a, a hardware store, look at the bottom of the lamp. Does it have a UL rating? That's the highest quality rating you could possibly get, much higher than a government rating would be. Market can solve all that. That's not, that's what it does. Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of people don't realize I used to be in the the health insurance business back in the 1990s that organizations even like the NCQA, National Commission on Quality Assurance, those are private organizations and also JACO, Joint Health Commission, at least they were back then. I don't know if they've been so taken over by the government. What 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 they did back then was they said, "Oh, look at this wonderful market regulatory mechanism let's mandate it so they took away all its competition which of course doesn't help let's take a short break for this important message friends if you're enjoying the content here on tom mullen talks freedom you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now, let's get back to our episode. How could I think of Baba with a girl like you? Yeah, there there were quite a few things in in early American history that were taken care of by the market by voluntary means that 
the government's kind of taken over. And that I think you mentioned de Tocqueville and, and much of his book talked about all the things that he was startled about that they solve without the government. And de Tocqueville was amazed. He says, there's no country in the world where people are as responsible as Americans. You could travel to the backwoods of Kentucky at the time, and people are sitting in their log cabins with newspapers, and they're talking to each other about world events. Nowhere in Europe are people sitting there with newspapers, the peasants talking about world events and about the national country. This and in the talk of democracy in America, he starts off by saying, America, get rid of slavery. You are out of your mind. But beyond that, you are a great country. You're so re- unbelievably responsible. Nothing like this exists in the world. Americans should read that book. It makes you proud. So, David, we're going to link to your um, to both your books, and I hope you'll be able to come back and talk about the third one when it's done. This one, a San Francisco conservative starts out with a quote from T.S. Eliot, of all people. Can you read it for us or recite it for us and tell, tell us why you started the book with this? I don't have it in front of me, but he's saying, or he said, that time past, time present, time future, it's the same. You read Aristotle, it's way ahead of ours, of us. Why we, and you read the Constitution and the Federalist Papers, those are great arguments for a general document, for a one-page document that runs the whole country. These things have been done before, and they're not, and uh, and the problems are the same. Europe has the Maastricht Agreement, 254 pages, like our tax code, expanding. Every case has to be handled on its own. Every case is different. There's nothing to learn from the past, when in fact there is. And that's one of the things I'm saying. You know, if you read Aristotle, it just drives me up the wall. He's so great. He talks about property. He says, you know, property can be owned by the state. And we hand dish it out as we feel like it. Or you can have some halfway ground. You can own your home, maybe. And the state owns some of the factories. Says, but forget all of that. Just let it go. Go for complete private ownership of everything. And the reason? Diversity. Aristotle's words. You don't want a monolithic culture. You want all kinds of people. You want a pluralist world. It's more interesting. It's more exciting. Just go with freedom. You would think that's written today. I can't believe it. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and I remember in his politics, him warning to beware the demagogue who will uh, carve up your property and hand it out to 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 for his own gain. So uh, certainly we've got plenty of that going on today. Well, David, I want to thank you for, for stopping by, talking about this great book. Again, we'll link to it on the show notes page here, along with Income and Wealth, your first effort, and hope to see you again soon. Sure. I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> thank you. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to ItsTheFedStupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. 
And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.